from the crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I will be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined in studio by co-host Christopher Toph Day. Let's roll. Today's going to be off the chain. Off the chain. CEO of Elevate Ventures, Toph. And Nate Spangle, head of community at Powder Keg. Yeah, buddy. And our guest today is Dr. Toby Malachi, founding executive chairman of Malachi Group Worldwide. And he is, he is so decorated. He has done so many amazing things. We were talking a little bit before we hit record here. So I'm very excited about this conversation. He's a global business diplomat, an impassioned entrepreneur. He has been on the forefront of international trade and business consult and has had a business consultancy for over four decades. Yes, she called one of the local guys in, in Connersville, Larry Alexander. He said, how you feeling? She said, oh, Larry, I'm you're not doing too well. You have TV set. Can you get CNN? So she called the nurse in, the nurse put on CNN. And there was her oldest son, the firstborn, the chosen one. Not with one, but four presidents of the United States of America. Dr. Toby Malachi is an expert in all things global trade. His story isn't just a journey of personal triumph, but a testament to perseverance, strategic vision, and the unyielding power of faith. In today's show, we are going to cover the inspiring moments that define Dr. Malachi's journey, the adversities that tested his resolve, and the principles that guide him in mentoring the next generation of leaders. We'll also learn how Dr. Malachi's early experiences shaped his global perspective, what it means to overcome personal and professional challenges, and how he stayed grounded through it all. And of course, we'll hear firsthand about the lofty goal that had propelled his life work, his ambition to win the Nobel Laureate, and why that matters, not just to him, but to the world. Dr. Malachi, thank you for being here, and welcome to Get In. Oh, Matt, thank you very much. I, I don't know who you were talking about there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> It that is, guy's awesome. Well done. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to have you here. And obviously, there's so many things that you've accomplished in your career. But I know the whole thing starts at age seven or eight. That's right. Can you yeah. take us back to that moment? Yeah. Thanks for asking. That, that's I, I never get asked that question. So of the thousands of interviews around the world and around the country, <laughs> the first time someone's asked me that. No kidding. Yeah, yeah it, it's it is. It's such a cool story. Yeah. I, I would love to hear about it. It's I'm originally from a small town called Connorsville, Indiana. Okay. Go Spartans. And go Spartans. When Nate said I was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. Uh, ne never had a father in my household, never saw him. Mm. Now, until a funeral, and then I graduated from high school, going to play professional baseball, and he shows up, my dad kind of stuff. My mother and aunts took baseball bats to him. True story. <laughs> no Re kidding. Ready back to Chicago. You oh, my know. gosh. But my great-grandmother and my grandmother, my great-grandmother was Irish, uh, Dutch German, Cherokee, and black. Then look like me. So family reunions, ah, <laughs> where did I come from? <laughs> Interesting. And yeah, and until I got down to my mother. And but I always for some reason had these lofty dreams. I don't know I now know where they came from. I don't know where they came from. And my mother used to say, You're of all my boys, there was three of us and two girls, God bless all my past, but one uh, sister, um, she said, you're, you're the chosen one. My grandmothers, and grandmothers, black grandmothers back then, probably still to this day too, but back then they just would take the first, I was the first boy, first grandchild, 
the first dark-skinned person in my family. So I was spoiled. Won a beauty. I won the most prettiest baby contest in 1950. <laughs> yeah. We I, should have led with that. Oh, yeah, yes. well, it, it's, it's funny because when I saw the picture of it in the news exam, I couldn't tell what it was. <laughs> and But for some reason, I had just a fascination with, with globes. Mm. I'd see a globe or a world. I, I just, it just come. We had encyclopedias. They were used. We go down to the library and get them and sure. bring them look at them. That was the internet. The entire internet was in the, those encyclopedias. Yeah. You know what? That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right, Tom. <laughs> and so first and second grade went by, and I just, uh, we had, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I just, in the third grade, I said, I want to become a world leader. Wow. And everyone Where'd kind of looked. I know it's God now. Yeah. But, but back then, I think this means just looking at the globe and seeing, you know, these pictures of the globe and different people around the globe. And I said, I, I want to do that. I want to meet these people. I think it'd be fascinating to do that. And it was a, a turbulent time, you know, back in the early 50s. So yeah. I believe in peace. I believe in business for peace. And so I said, I want to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I want to do that in eighth grade. And it just stuck that the, the goals I've set, I wanted to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm going to win it. I'm going to earn it. I went back from my 55th high school reunion at the end of this past October. Wow. And all my kids, not my kids, the classmates from kindergarten, second, third grade, the one thing they talked about, they said, Dr. Toby, go is to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And then they had, they had an article where I'd said that. Wow. From so, third grade. <laughs> I think I know somebody wrote it up. Right. But, but that was just something I, I believe in. I've worked towards it. Continue to work for it. Do you think it's important to have a big, lofty goal like that? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, my grandmother used to call me mastermind. And I call her mama, Frances J. Ware. She said from uh, Peach City, Georgia, Atlanta, she said maybe she had a fifth grade education. Maybe. But the smartest, most intuitive, yeah. motherhood mm -hmm. person you ever, you ever wanted to meet. And mama, I call her mom, mama called me mastermind. She says, man, she says, you're always doing something. Your mind never stops, it's always just going. I'd have dreams. I'm on my own private jet. I don't think I even had jets back then. Was just, and you have to understand, it's a three-bedroom home, and we had an outhouse. So eventually, that got plumbed inside. We had one faucet, cold water, so we had to heat that on the coal stove. So it had to be God and planting these in me because I wanted to get my mother out of the out of that area. We, we didn't call them ghettos back then. It was just where blacks were relegated to live. Mm -hmm. I always just had goals and dreams. And I, I always remember getting in trouble in school. Come on, Malachi, quit daydreaming. Uh -huh. And I could see with these world leaders. And so it just came out all. I, I love that daydreaming fantasy, right? Visualizing. We Visualizing, today. yeah. The, um, I'm curious how, what, how you think about, so you obviously heard you're the chosen one. Yeah. You heard <clears throat> these words before you probably knew how to speak. Exactly right. right. And so yeah. what do you think that does for the subconscious, right, of children? Growing up, being told you can uh, do it, you can be anything you want to be, etc., mm. building them up. And I want to share a quick story before you answer that question that you made me think of a moment ago. I was at a retreat recently, and uh, Gary Brackett, who used to play, oh, play yeah. for the Colts mm -hmm. and who's on the championship mm -hmm. team, and one of the folks at the retreat, they were talking about life and kids and pursuit of your passions, etc. And one of the parents said, my, my child, my son, is a sophomore, junior, and has these visions of being a, I can't remember if it was a baseball player, a football player, right. or something. And she's, he's not going to achieve that. Like, how do, I, how do I reset his expectations? And Gary said, 
You don't. Oh. You let them go for it. Let them dream about it. I like that. And because like if you that. don't, whatever that thing is, that lofty yeah. goal. So even if that's the lofty goal and, and the child doesn't hit that, and they hit here, and if you're only listening, I'm visualizing with my hands. Yes. That's still awesome. Yes. And so how, how do you think about that? Like, oh, I, I like that. Mama, back to mom again. And, and thank you, Matt. That's the, no one's ever asked me that question. Mama always said, man, you can be anything and everything. And just think about what you want to be. Just dream about it. Mm. Have a vision. Permission and to dream. Permission mm-hmm. to dream. Oh, I like that. I do too. And then telling kids, she always encouraged inspired us. And your point was well taken. And, and Gary Brackett is that let it go. Don't kill the dream. Don't kill the yeah. kid's dream. I didn't know any better. I, I just knew I wanted to have more than one pair of blue jeans. You know? <laughs> it, yeah. A modest goal, but My a good goal, goal on the way to Nobel Laureate. Nobel Laureate, <laughs> and, and it was just a natural gift. I got along with all people. Yeah. And then I said, times were tense back there, like they are now, but they're a little more tense. This was the 50s. Sure. And if I go up to anybody and talk to anybody, I didn't care. They did just to make me any difference. I'd go up and just talk to them. They, this kid must be crazy, but he's a kid, so you can't push him away, but I just go up and just talk. To this day, I do that. Where did you get your entrepreneurial spark? Uh, great question, great question. Two people, three people maybe. One was Mary Bell Perkins. We had one business in the black neighborhood on the hill. It was a grocery store. Mm. Do you remember what it was called? I should have. I don't, but I should have. That's all right. We'll research it so yeah, you can get in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, Mary, Mary Bell Perkins and the, up on the hill. And she would walk in there, and back then, uh, you can buy a knee-high bottle of pop for a nickel, Coca-Cola for a nickel, bubblegum, five, ten pieces for a nickel, Coca-Cola, six cents, bread was like 11 cents, or uh, a quarter of milk, 27 cents. Wow. And see all these things, products in the store, and I was taught by my mother to, so I was the oldest of, of, of five, or of three at that particular time, that she said, anything you need in life can have to work for it. So she made a scrubber, scrub the toilet, <laughs> clean the house, dust, all that things. While other kids went out to play, we had to do those things. She teaches us discipline, didn't mm-hmm. know. So I go to Barry Bell, she said, she said, if you bring in pop bottles, back then you got a deposit for bringing in the pop oh, bottles. Yeah, that's right. Forget about that. And so I said, and I'd go out and I'd get me a wooden case back then. And I'd bring in pop bottles, two or three, four cases of pop bottles, and get money for the for the for the, the d- deposits, buy some candy, and I'd give my mother a few pennies to go towards groceries. That's great. And Maribel said, she said, you know what? You're gonna own a business one day. She said, You're very enterprising. <laughs> and then my great grandmother, grandma great grandma Dillingham, the was Irish Cherokee and Dutch German, she used to call me get up. Oh, I love that. And because we back, got get up on the get in podcast. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I love it. Back then, since we were poor, everybody had coal stoves back then. Oh, yeah. So I'd go down in their basements, a little skinny kid, and bring coal out from the basement up to the coal stoves during the winter. I would shovel snow in the winter. I'd rake leaves during the fall, cut grass during the summer. And so it was always like he's always masterminds, always doing something business, always doing something business. Then Frankie Baker, who cannot read or write, but and when, they, when he died, he ended up having a lot of money. Mm. He always bought a new Oldsmobile 88 every year. Drove not nice clothes, but he hauled trash. Literally dirty, stinky trash. 
And he'd take me with him, and I'd go with him and lift these little barrels up because I wanted to be muscular Nate, build up. Because <laughs> I was Gary Box the Golden Gloves back because I had to build up and stuff. And I'd throw on, on the truck. I was trying to find ways to make money to help my mother. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you're going to have a business one day. You're an entrepreneur, but that's not the word they use. You're going to own a business. And he taught me humility because uh, he couldn't read or write, and he didn't put the syllables together maybe right. And it angered me sometimes when people laugh at him. Mm. I'd, I'd take up for him. But he was laughing all the back, and he literally signed his name with an X. Literally did. Wow. But he always had this new truck, dump truck, and now I learned how to drive the dump truck. Those two primarily, and then my godfather was Perry Cox, who worked in a factory, but then became a barber. The late Phil Cox was the basketball was his father. And he, he said, he told me this. He said, Toby, he said, learn to use your mind instead of your hands. That's powerful. That's yeah. powerful. Because back there, everybody worked in a factory, or yep. that was about all we could do. Now, that stuck with me the whole time. So. That's where it all came out of. It just went from there. You had some it, great early mentors. Yeah, and didn't know it. Yeah. Because it was just like, you just didn't know it. You just talked through being a, being a young kid hauling trash yeah. and coal and yeah. cutting lawns yeah. and, and all of these all these opportunities. Yeah. What advice would you have for any entrepreneur out there on spotting opportunity? Because mm. I feel like everything you just said is, is just a, a master class on being able to identify opportunities yeah. and yeah. take action. I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, and that's a very important question, Nate. And I hope I can give us some justice here. I tell young kids, what's happened is when I resigned from General Motors Corporation, I became a motivational speaker and trainer. And I started doing training works, exercises, Motivation exercises, trying to build my business up up from there. Set goals, have dreams, get up. Nothing ever happens until you get, get up. up. And I told the parents, this was in the 80s, I told the parents, I said, look, I come from a broken home. I come up, we were poor, no, we were poor, but we had everything we needed to have, it seems like back. The Marine Corps would bring us toys during the Christmas time, or JCs would bring us food. So we had things to, to go. We didn't have the best of best. So I'd always would work, and then I got another part-time job at Sears and Roebuck when I was able to. My grandmother worked there as a stock boy. I'm up in the laundromat, and people laughed at me. They used to laugh, because it was like, we don't do that. And I told the parents, yes, I want my kids to have it better than me. But I said, don't forget to tell your kids how you got to where you are. And Nate, they dropped that lesson. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. They let go. They yeah. dropped that lesson. No, I'm going to give them anything they want. They dropped the lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, today, it's even worse. I, I'll say it because now it's just like, I want this. I'm going to get this any kind of way. Okay, I'll give it to you. I'll write a check. But you lost that discipline. You lost, you lost a big part of you that will help you, not in your teens, not sorry, but in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and up, because there comes time, there will come times, I'm a testimony to this, you have to draw back on those experiences. And I said, I grew up poor without, if something happens in America and we get cut off from food, electricity, water, I know how to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that, that training that I had growing up and we've gotten away from that. How do you think people could can cultivate that skill of spotting opportunity? Because it sounds like for you, it really came from a place of necessity. I, yeah. I, if I don't spot the opportunity, I'm going to be working at Sears Roebuck the rest right, of my life, right, which, which right. isn't necessarily a bad thing, I, but I, that wasn't I your dream. I lost your goals, yeah. yeah. That's great. Now, I, 
all of my kids, I, I taught the way I was taught and raised up. And they're all enterprising. They're all, you know, work. My daughter, oldest daughter, she's an international model, actress, works with um, uh, challenged girls, but she'll still work two or three jobs. Mm. You know, my, my son spent time in the Air Force. All, all my kids, Kobe, all my kids got uh, degrees. That's my high, five. That's my greatest accomplishment awesome. right there. Congratulations. But uh, I taught them all that to work. And, and I, I used to give a motivational talk was the great Zig Ziglar. Oh, yeah. And, I used to listen to Zig Ziglar uh, tapes all the time. Zig would take me around and, and speaking. And uh, Zig, Zig said something that just stuck with me. And I, I'll share this with you. He said, the only place that you'll see success come before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. There's a title. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. So I, I think that's a powerful lesson. If you want opportunity, just start working. Yeah. Just start yeah. doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not going to find opportunity sitting on your couch yeah. or messing around, not doing anything, sitting on your hands. So how so how do you start to transition then? So you, just the wealth of, of knowledge that you were able to gain growing up, right? And in the, the uh, like positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. So now you're in high school, mm-hmm. you're playing some sports, you're starting to think about college, you're mm-hmm. starting to think about what am I going to do? Give us those stepping stones from kind of 16, 17, 18 years old, kind of stepping stones into your mid twenties as we approach your, mm-hmm. when did you start your business today? January 1, 1982. In 82. Mm-hmm. And so you were uh, 30-ish? I was 31. 31? Yeah. Maybe walk 32. It's already set in. Yeah. <laughs> so what were those connection points, relationships or connection points that got you from high school? You played sports in high school, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were a rock star. No, <laughs> but, but I wasn't. Like, close that gap for us, that decade, as we approach the, right. the things you've been working on the last four decades. Very excellent question. And then I'll reflect back. Anything that I wanted, I had to work for. Anything. We just didn't have it. We just didn't have it. The negative, never had the, the negative reinforcement. They didn't allow it. Grades in school, no excuse. Just see you're not average. You can do better. And just on, but now you're going to high school, you start thinking about college. And of course, I'm first generation, went to college. And I thought like most black kids do, at the time I'm going to play professional sports. Baseball was my probably the best sport. I, I, I boxed the gloves, so I thought Muhammad Ali was my hero, so I was going to box, become a professional boxer. I thought that was going to be a way to go. And then basketball, I wasn't. I later picked up basketball in college, became a Hall of Famer at IUPUI, which was now going to be Indiana University. Casual, just picked, just it, casual. Casual. <laughs> just, just picked it up and became <laughs> a Hall of Famer. <laughs> kind of like Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I bailed hay, like I was telling Toff, Grew up belling hay yeah. to make money. Bell hay, shuck corn, pick corn, shuck tobacco. I, I did all those things yeah. just to work to keep my mother. Just keep. I was like the man in the house. As mama used to say, she felt bad for me because I never had a childhood. Cause I was always working to try to help my mother and my, and my siblings out. But I had to start thinking about I wanted to go to college. I always just wanted to go to college. I'd hear the teacher say, you can do it, you can do it. And I talked to so many people that they'd have speakers come to our high school and speak on stage like convocations and stuff. And I'd say, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not afraid to talk to a crowd. I, I can do that. And I've just, matter of fact, my high school named me. <laughs> She's gonna love this. 
Mr. Talkative, the most talkative. Mr. Yeah. 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 Mr. Most, most talkative was my. They got the right person. They for got the, the right. Yeah, so <laughs> it was really funny because that came up again. But I was most talkative because I was always talking to people going up, and I don't care who you were, I want to know about you. What's going on? Started going through high school, thought maybe sports might be the way, baseball thought it'd be the way. Then I got a little serious with the books, had to get that. Things weren't seen to go because we didn't have any money to go to college. Mm. And so what, I ended up being uh, scouted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so let's tell a story about that. On the Pittsburgh Pirates, Mr. Howard, one of the greatest gentlemen I ever met in my life, had nine kids. His oldest son and I played baseball together, but one of his youngest baby sons was Matt Howard, who played for Butler. Oh, wow. <laughs> But Mr. Howard ever says, when my mother died, my brother died, my sister died, the other brother died, he always bring the kids to the funeral. Mm. What a gentleman. Yeah. So he got to pit, travel the Pittsburgh Pirates, Cincinnati Reds, which was 30, 30, 25, 30 minutes from Connorsville. But me and my mother were banging heads, senior in high school. I'm 18, and I can't wait to leave. I'm going to get out of here. And she said, yeah, you're going. <laughs> and there's not, not no waiting. You're going. <laughs> you're going to go to college. You're going go to go to the Army or you're going to work, but you're getting out of here. Mm-hmm. And she meant that. I was 18. I did not know until I was 35 and a half years old that I could come back home. Wow. She said, you want to be a man? You want to be a tough guy? You want to go out there? She said, there you go. But at 18, you're out the door. And you can't come back. Wow. And that made me grow up in so many ways. And so the baseball didn't work out, so still didn't have anything. I graduated in the top fourth of my, my honor society in my high school. And a lady named B., B worked for the Indiana Social Security, the Indiana Department of something, I can't remember what it was back then. And my mother, I used to go with her to scrub people's floors, iron their clothes, she'd fix their meals. We cleaned a couple of office buildings downtown in Connorsville, little small places. Mm-hmm. And she says, I want more for you than this. And you gotta go to college. Sports wasn't forthcoming. And then, so I started looking at, in, um, different types of school, business schools, but they were like one-year business schools, nine months, and then you can come out and work. But that didn't seem to work. And I went to Pittsburgh and was going to go to Pittsburgh, got cut. But then my mother called me, and B had got me an, athlete, an academic scholarship. Your and teacher? She worked for the it was, it was state Social Security, I don't know, it was a welfare oh, okay. office. I can't remember what office it was back then. Because they just took a liking to me. Wow. And got me a, some academic scholarships. Uh, the Lions Club gave me a little money. My church, Methodist Church, gave me a little money. DePaul was one of the colleges, Nate, that I was going to. Go the Tigers? Go with Tigers. Um, just didn't know which. I just knew I wanted to go. Yeah. And I ended up going to the greatest thing that ever happened to me education-wise, Vincent's University. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Vincent's University. And I just worked for that. And uh, Vincent's took kids like myself troubled, fragmented backgrounds, somewhat not having the best things in life and worked with us. And I ended up being on the basketball team, not as a player because I got there too late, but the coach put me on as a trainer and a student. I got the same scholarship. Wow. And then a guy named Mr. Cooper, who is from Maine, was the dorm director. And I ended up going to Vincennes early that summer because I got cut from the Pirates and I got the dates mixed up. I was down there sitting on a bench. I had no place to sleep, no place to go. 
I had a little few money, little money in my pocket. I had my car that I worked for. And Mr. Cooper came out, saw me sitting there. I said, I'm here to start classes. So classes don't start for another week or two. And what are you doing for a place to stay? I said, I don't know, sir. I said, I'll figure it out. And he said, I'll tell you what. I'm over the dormitories. I got a room. There's no sheets, no blankets. I'll get you a blanket. You can stay in the dormitory until classes come around, start. And then he said, you got housing? I said, no, sir. But I, I, and he made me an RA. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. That's, yeah. Oh. You so, know, your, your story really reminds me of a, a quote from one of our other podcast interviews, serial entrepreneur who's just talking about how if what you want is someone to, to help you, yeah. show that you're doing the work. Think about uh, someone who's got their car broken down on the side of the road, yeah. and if they're just sitting there with their thumb out yeah. versus... They're there trying to push their car up the road. Yeah, it's yeah. much easier to get someone to come and help you push the car. Oh, great. Oh, you, you just, boy, you guys got me going here. <laughs> <laughs> Something Toff said that, that just uh, took me back based on the question that, that you just asked. Visualization. My hometown, growing up, Connorsville, was called Little Detroit. The Duesenberg was built there. Uh, part of the studio, uh, studio was built there. The Avant was built there. Stamp manufacturer made all the radiator caps back then. They had mm-hmm. DM uh, metal fabrication built and they had a Ford plant built there. So I had the vision to I want to work for, but Ford was number two. I've always been a competitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Number one. laughs> I want number one. And Jerry Moore's baby was number one. Yeah. And so it was my goal to go to work for Jerry Moore's Corporation. How'd you make that happen? I was working uh, after college. I was working for AF&B Bank back then on a career development program. I thought I'd be a banker because I love money. When, the, when we come up poor, you 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 want a little money. <laughs> That's right. So I don't love money, but I just wanted. A little to, walking around money never hurt nobody. No, a mm-hmm. little, 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 little pocket change to do something. And the girls wouldn't go with a poor guy anyway. So Strong there motivator. it is. <laughs> Strong motivator. And so I was working for the bank, and I'd gone to a headhunter, Morley, Mike Morley, Irishman, Notre Dame through and out. And I went into a clear, businessman's clearinghouse, what it was called. And I said, Morley, Morley uh, I need a, a different job. One to, this is not this is me. It's too slow pace. I want something challenging pace like there. And he called me up. He said, Jerome Motors is interviewing in town. So they're going to interview about 100 people. You have to be black. I said, okay. And can you be here at 6 o'clock be the last appointment? which is right across the street from the FMB I love it. In that situation, be the last. Yeah. The last one. And I said, oh, God, General Motors, yes, this is it. And my then girlfriend, came my fiance, we got married, now divorced. I said, look, General Motors is in town, and she's going to pick me up. And her, she had a cousin came in from Cleveland. So I'm going to go over here and talk to him. When I walked, I'd done enough studying about GM. Back in those days, you had to be married. Mm. They wanted you to have a mortgage and some kids. And that's the way that you'll be with him a lifelong employee back then. I had neither. The last guy to come out of the interview was a fraternity brother of mine at IU, Tommy Britton. Tommy was married. His wife went to school, had a baby. So I worked for GMMC, GMAC back then. And I went, oh, the little self-doubt started going in. Oh, he's going to get the job because said another. But I thought back, mama, my grandmother saying, ain't nobody better than you. You earn your stripes like everybody else. They put their legs on just like you do one leg at a time. So don't you doubt yourself. And I went in, true story, and sit down and Bud Fortman, another Dutch German. So I said, oh, you're in my family. I got <laughs> <laughs> And he sat there and 
Uh, back then, they were saying blacks, because only black, because they wanted affirmative action. It'd be that 10% affirmative action. Mm. And I went in, sit down, uh, I was standing up with Mr. Foreman, he said, sit down. And uh, he said, tell me about yourself. I said, sir, I said, can I say something? He said, yeah, what? I said, Mr. Foreman, if you're gonna hire me because I'm black, you're gonna hire me for 10% affirmative action, I'm not your guy. True story. He led back in his chair and he says, how much time do you have? Wow. I said, I've got time. Three hours later, I wow. left out. Wow. I'm on wow. jet plane, General's plane, going to Dayton. Got the job. I was the youngest division manager at 23. I was then Frigidaire Division before I came over to Chevrolet Motor Division. That's so cool. Yeah. Love it. It's awesome. I, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about your business because yeah. your accomplishments, your accolades, reads like a highlight reel of uh, international success. Very generous. Very generous. I, I'm you. curious, out of all those experience and awards, is there one that you hold particularly near and dear to your heart? Can wow. we set this up yeah. just real quick? Yeah. yeah, please. And correct me, I'm going to have the words slightly wrong if you guys remember the exact words. So to set this up, you have been involved in 95% of all of the small business export trade agreements. Free trade agreements, yeah. Free trade agreements mm -hmm. over the last... Six uh, consecutive White Houses. Six consecutive White House administrations. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Thank you. And I've been asked to go with the seventh. The, the White House called me back in March and said, we, we go two more years and give me seven consecutive White House administrations. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. There's a lot that stands out. And, and I'll tell you, I, I transitioned from the motivational speaking and training business because I always wanted to do be international trade. I served on the board, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, was on the executive committee there. And then I became the first black vice chairman and chairman of the Indiana Small Business Council. And that just got me catapulted up to the U.S. Chamber. And I just still had this thing about the world, the globes. I just never from the third grade, that those, those, those globes again. That's <laughs> cool. Come to my home and you'll see globes <laughs> around. Yeah. And visualization. Yep. The power of visualization. And, and I was asked, we're in the White House. They, they called business leaders in. President, this time President Clinton called business leaders in from around the country. And they wanted us first to meet with Hillary to talk about the insurance deal they had, health care. And we, as small business leaders, didn't like that. We, we just didn't like the agenda that she was proposing. Mm -hmm. And she finds out in the tough year in experts this, small business people can be pretty vocal. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> we, we can be pretty vocal, so I killed that. So I had us in the, in the White House and going to talk about this thing called free trade agreements and NAFTA. And President Clinton kept with the looking at me. He'd walk by it, he'd look. He'd come back again, he would look. He'd come back again, he would look. And my colleagues from around the country said, like, what's going on? He keeps looking at you. And I'm going like, yeah. I said, it's a little, I said, no, I've never seen before in my life. It's a little unnervy. And you got the Secret Service. So I've never been that many Secret Service agents in my life. And we're going back and forth again. And so when we're over, the uh, Secret Service says, keep your seat till the president leaves the room. Two guys, two yahoos decide they're going to get up early. Bad mistake. Mm. I, first time I've seen this, the Secret Service in unison, they test those guys some kind of way, and boy, they just dropped. 
went down. So I was like, oh, Yo, we, ain't, pressure point. We, wow. yeah, we ain't moving. Yeah. I'm a brother. I definitely ain't moving. <laughs> <laughs> and so Lexis Herman, who later became a secretary of labor, came over to me. wife. she said, in her southern voice, she said, baby, she said, the president would like to talk with you. Everybody was like, God, what's going on? You all right? What's going on? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm confident in myself, but still unnerved because the president of the United States of America. He said, he's through this door here. And it's the hallway to the... And I go through the door, and there's Bill Clinton. Matt, this is in between you and Toph. That's how close we were. Wow. And I back up, and I said, yes, sir. And he, and he said, I hear you're a pretty good speaker. I said, yes, Mr. President. And I hear that you know how to handle legislatures. I said, I've had some experience back in Indiana. That's, we do all right. We, we get things done. And he said, I want you to be my lead on NAFTA for small, medium-sized enterprises. Wow. I want you to be the lead speaker and advocate. Wow. That was very memorable. And from that point on, things just shot up. Yep. And then I got to be around other world leaders. I got to be a part of APEC, Asian Pacific Economic Corporation, WTA World Trade Organization. I was a delegate, you know, that for delegate for the U.S. ASEAN, USTR, U.S. Trade Representative Office. We had that. We had TTAC, which is the Economic China, world leaders. And, on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. I served on the National Policy Committee for 13 years. So all kinds of world leaders. But a lot of times, I'm the only black in the room. Yeah. 99, almost 100% of the time, I'm only black in the room. So they would come to me and they'd talk and grew up. And that honed my skills diplomatically on how to deal with world leaders from all over. And I've met at that time almost every world leader there was. Who's the, who's the most magnetic, positive, where you got a great vibe from, world leader? And who is the, what are the words I want to use? The... Not so magnetic, maybe scariest yeah. world leader you've ever met that gave you the eebie-jeebies. The scariest, <laughs> to be technical. Yeah. yeah. Technical. That's an industry term. <laughs> yeah. The scariest one, I, I can't tell you because there's something going on in the world today. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but that, that was an experience. One of the ones I have the pictures of is President Efray of Chile. Mm. And I worked on that free trade agreement. That was the first time of the Chile-U.S. Free Trade Agreement. And we had a big deal on the Potomac and on the Spirit of Washington, which was the yacht. And President Efray, at that time, allowed Chile and wine. I'm, big, I'm a huge red wine drinker, huge. I drink it every day. Oh, what, are you a cab guy or uh, Malbec? Cab, cab Malbec or Pinot. Call me anytime. Or come <laughs> yes. over. You're welcome to come over anytime. I've got some for you. You're welcome anytime. Yeah, yeah, I know. Show up. I yeah, well, you're a big guy, so we'll, we'll try to find you something. <laughs> Looking, so we just clicked off, and, and I have a picture of I'm trying to dig it out for you. He was just fascinated with me. I was fascinated with him. Just the energy. Just, um, pr- um, President Sindelo, when uh, I was at the state, state dinner for the White House, very memorable. That was one of the most memorable times because my work had paid off with that. And he, we had a private breakfast and that. And then I uh, went to, uh, to Mexico with the late Ron Brown in Mexico and couldn't sign the NAFTA court. I was going to tell you something about NAFTA here in the morning, my, my greatest moment. And then um, uh, I must drop, uh, I, had a, I had a great time with Tung Chi Hall. If you go to my website, malachi.com, you'll see me shaking hands with Tung Chi Hall which is in that diplomatic room with the U.S. Chamber, and Tom Downey has a white hair in China. You see him, me and him shaking hands. That's the time that he invited me to 
to be his guest on the infamous shot in Hong Kong when China went back to communism. Wow. And it's on my website, and we were shaking hands. Oh, my God. And he was just, he was just taken back. It was a Chinese. You hear different things about you know, race and stuff. We go fabulously yeah. you know, with it. And so that, that's, that's a good one. There, there's so many that, that I've, I, I have met time with them, but just, just one after one quick one. Please. The, the greatest one was all was that my mother, God bless her, uh, I was the first black to move have a business in the AUL Tower downtown in America. Yep. And uh, late Jerry Simler, you know me. Oh, sure. And uh, I, ran from, I came back from Chicago and resigned from General Motors. He had some old space in Castleton. Back then, Castleton was the spot. So I moved his back. I can't afford more. He said, we'll work it out. He gave me an opportunity. He said, watch me work. Watch my integrity. How I had things. How I mean, all that things that you're an expert at, most things go into successful business, right? And, small, and so I uh, got in there and... Uh, my, then I moved across the street and kept the center North Tower because of, you know the space was by my ice melt brought my floor out. <laughs> the law firm, and first time my mother ever come up, you know, to Indianapolis to see my offices. Wow, that's gonna be a big that's moment. And, and, me chills. And, and I had all backs on the wall. I mean, God's blessed. I've got enough to, you know, to go around. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And she said, uh, she said one day, one of my boys there was three of us, gonna go to the White House. 1987. One of my boys gonna go to the White House, and when he does, he's gonna know how to talk. The king's you know, he's gonna know how to talk, and his shoes are gonna be shine. Now, the most beautiful, number one person. You know, we all think our mother's beautiful, right? Because if a man in shoes went with him, mm. I was that boy. You've got a pin on your uh, lapel there. <laughs> on her deathbed. And cufflinks. And cufflinks. Yeah. Or presidential cufflinks. On her deathbed with cancer. Wow. I was at the White House, and uh, she called one of the local guys in, in Connersville, called her, Larry Alexander, great basketball player in the 50s. He called her my mother, Beaner. He said, he said uh, how you feeling? She said, oh, Larry, I'm forced back. Do you have TV set, a TV set on? She said, yeah. She said, can you get CNN? She said, so she called the nurse in, the nurse put on CNN. And there was her oldest son, the firstborn, the chosen one, not with one, but four presidents of the United States of America. And I was on this front side row. That's incredible. That was, that was Bush, George Bush, President Carter, or President Carter and President Ford, and President Clinton and Al Gore. I was only one of three black males in that room. One was late Ron Brown and Ron Espy for his common secretary for um, uh, agriculture. And it was on CNN. Your mom and got she to saw see that. it. And she got to see it. It passed shortly after that. That's, That's incredible. incredible. That's yeah. yeah. What a moment. Making me emotional. Yeah. yeah. So I don't tell you, you started off. I, <laughs> I appreciate good. you sharing. Great And, and I, one thing I, I would really ever didn't ask, yeah. um, I'm by your statement. Um, we can solve a lot of the world's problems yeah. through business mm -hmm. for peace mm -hmm. and one trade, trade deal, deal at, at a time. time. Yes. Can you bit on that philosophy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, representing the, the United States all over the world, it's been an honor. You know, uh, we're going to have more you know, coming up here you know, after the first year. And uh, Costa Rica, as I said, I've been the only black who was an entrepreneur. Now, they're black, they have been there, but they were career mm -hmm. on my own small business. Again, small business guy. 
woman person. Go ahead. And but I always gone with world leaders. President Clinton once told me. President George W. Bush once told me. Said we're going to start having you coming in the room because everybody's going to you before they come to us. And I'm the president of the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> True something. Wow. You know. Yeah. I, I dressed a little bit, so I kept thinking, meeting all these people from all the world, all walking in, everybody, literally, literally all over the world, literally. And I just got along with them. Back those days in Kernsville, always talking to somebody, always going around. And I said, man, we have these nice, elaborate meals, and everybody's, everybody's, you know, guards down a little bit. They're talking business. We're talking trade, talking about how to improve trade, access to markets, and, and uh, you know, not about war battle. And um, I kept saying, like, boy, there's a duty here, you know, to do so. And each place I started going, was doing that for, for, the, for the White House, for our great, great country, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for our great country going around. And I was on a plane going to, you know, on business. It was a, a religious business at this particular time. It was beside a Marine. We talked a little bit, and uh, Dad gave me his, his, his wife, and we, we talked, and his phone number, and, and what have you. And he said, um, come out of your mouth or, or, or peace and trade. What you do? I said, yes, sir. I said, Malachi Group Worldwide, we, we facilitate cross-border trade and investment deals. We, we, we bring those deals together around the world. We're over 70 countries around the world. And um, I really enjoy it. And I do this house and, and uh, administration. And for uh, you know, it's Chamber of Commerce and other organizations I belong to. And, you know, the world's problems could be solved over a meal. I said, yes, sir. I, I, I've been doing it for a lot of years. And we talk about trade. And I said, wow, you can solve the world's problems over a meal, one trade deal at a time. I love that. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Well, Dr. Malachi. And I got the global, that, I got the name the global godfather. Yeah, yeah. global <laughs> godfather. Well, I was just about to say, Dr. Malachi, global godfather, <laughs> Mr. Talkative, get up, uh, yeah. mastermind. It has been a pleasure, and I could talk to you for hours if, uh, if you would allow me to do so. But we are to our last couple minutes here. Um, and I was hoping we could do uh, Nate's favorite part of the show. My favorite part of the show. Yeah. It's called the lightning round. All right. You like, let's do it. These are quick, quick hit questions. No wrong answers. Let's do it. Before we get to the lightning round, I kind of just want to, we had, uh, this is just in my head. So we had Mr. Talkative, Talkative, whatever. Most Talkative. What was, what was your senior superlative? Oh Lord have mercy! I I don't even I don't remember. Most beautiful. I was, a, I, I was most beautiful. I, was a, I mean, I was rebelling so hard my junior or senior high school. <laughs> that's a whole other. And that is the mark of a great panure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said it's just Rebel real quick. Against the system. I just want to say it's real quick. Tall, and I did a little research back. We're so honored to have Indiana because oh, you, you you are really known around the world in your venture capital your ventures. And you're really, you're really top flight. We're glad. To, I'm, I'm glad I hear other people talk business searches, honors. We're honored to have you here and what you've brought here. You could have gone anywhere in the country, Thank but you're here with us. I appreciate Amen. that. Amen. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's, make me emotional all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has been a roller coaster of an episode. It's been so great. Uh, it's spectacular. Okay. Let's do the lightning round. Let's do it. All right. Outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? Oh, it's got to be quick, right? Quick. Sports. Sports. Basketball. Basketball. Yay. Um, 
IUPUI because I'm a Hall of Famer. Go yeah. Jags. <laughs> go Jags. I love Let's that. Let's go. Is that Grant Hill? Is he also out? I was 1970. So. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Hall of Famer. That's a whole other story to go how you went from Vincennes to IUPUI and Hall of yeah. Famer. We'll get on that in episode two. What is a hidden gem in Indiana? It's people. We're too damn quiet here. We need to brag and talk more about what we do here. Amen. That was a high five we got on the that mic. Was a high yeah. Five. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh, You're so right. We got great people here. Great oh my answer. God. Mm-hmm. Oh. And finally, who is someone we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. In Indiana? Have to be. It doesn't anywhere. have to be. Oh, oh. Wow. I'd say Toff. Yeah. No. You know, he's he's the epicenter. He's the catalyst for what every business needs right now, money. McKinsey just laid off a bunch of people, cutting cutting back on salaries. Boston Consulting Group is. J.P. Morgan's great deal thing that they're looking for partners for their uh, private equity group with. Model um, Corporation, General Corporation. I'm refinancing for... For, for, for money, right? We're, 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 little, we're in need of it, you know, yeah. so we're going to be around. So I'd have that um, uh, and spend something that's carried us on. I'd be close to the money. Yeah. yeah. Christopher Day. Yeah. That's yeah. a first on this podcast, yeah. but yeah. I, I yeah. humbled. Here, here. Thank you. Here, here. Right, I, I, right here in the nation's nucleus. And another guy that I like that's, that's here locally that's doing great things is Emil Ikior. Oh, yes. Emil's you great. Know, he was uh, on episode, I think. Four. Three. Three yeah. or four. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, Emil and I are good friends. Oh, and, and, good. And, and he's, he's got, incredible. He's, he's incredible. He's got a heart. He's doing things. I want credit for it. Mm-hmm. He's building, building an ecosystem. Uh, so you have... You know, both sides of that equation. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I can't wait to uh, read the uh, the headlines uh, when you uh, get the Nobel laureate. Thank you. I, I, I'll invite you. You guys got to come. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, I'm there. We'll bring some same. bottles of red wine, too. Yeah, oh, oh Nate. Yeah. We'll bring some good stuff, too. I, I will say, can I say one thing? I'm a little intimidated. Good enough bottle of wine for <laughs> you. No, no. That's a, I'm, I'm a brother. If, <laughs> if it's red, we'll drink it. Real quick, um, um, Dussler. Um, who was the president of, of St. Clair uh, Christian University. Uh, they're the oldest sect of the Orthodox Catholic Church. They're tied into the Vatican. Mm. Last year on my 72nd birthday, the Columbia Club honored me with the International Peace Medallion. Oh my gosh. So I'm one step closer. You're one yes, step sir. closer. On. You're gonna get it. Thank you, You're mate. You're gonna get it. Thanks, Congratulations, mate. and thank you so much for sharing oh. your time and your stories here today. Oh, the, it's, it's been an honor having you on Get In. I. I Toff calls. I tell him Toff calls. I come. But <laughs> honors him and 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 Matt. I read about you and the great things that, that you're doing. I read about Nate and the great things you're doing. And former athletes and you know we all and in sports. You know another way can solve the world's problems yeah. through sports. Yeah, absolutely. And the culture plant and absolutely. And so it's just a, a real time that to talk about something that's no one's really ever asked me to talk about in a length of time. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Mack. I'd love to do it again. Yeah. Can, can I say my closing marks? Yes. Have a successful day and think globally. We doze, but never close. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. That is a perfect way to end. Mic drop. This has been Get In, a powder production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for a guest or a segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top-tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com newsletter. 
And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg Executive Community, check out powderkeg.com slash premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.